So today on the Four Star Podcast, we'll do our full review of the markets. We'll talk about the big enchilada, the administration's tax and spend policy, and how that can affect our economy. Uh, we'll have a review of some of the latest really interesting news that's out there, speculation in the markets, and also a very interesting interview, more of a stream of consciousness interview with my friend Jeff Carter, uh, who is the founder of the Hyde Park Angels and a man about town with lots of knowledge about what's going on in the financial markets, longtime trader at the Chicago Board of Trade and a board member of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. So it'll be a good day. Uh, let's get started. Okay, welcome back, everybody, to the Four Star Podcast. Uh, yours truly, Brian Castle. I'm here as your host. And with me today, once again, is Mr. Chris Reardon. Good afternoon. Welcome back, everyone. And for our listeners uh, who are new, Chris is our four-star director of development, master of all things portfolio, trading, reports. He still loves his Cleveland Indians, caretaker of his new golden doodle puppy, Hudson. Yep. Thanks, Brian. Glad to be here. And again, I'm Brian Castle, founder and CEO of Four Star Wealth. I'm an Eagle Scout, a trustee of the National Boy Scout Foundation, philanthropic advisor and advisor to CEOs and insiders, chief dad to Quinn and Evan, and husband to the amazing Tripti. Uh, welcome, everybody, to the podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please tell your friends to log into our site and get the regular feed in their email. Uh, if you're going to give us a ranking, please give us a five out of five. Um, we're going to talk about the markets, uh, the economy, and what we see out there. So, Chris, uh, why don't we start out with the markets? Uh, where are we as far as our relative strength tally scores in different asset classes? Yes, yeah, so not much has changed uh, from last week. Uh, so we still have domestic equities leading in the number one spot, uh, followed by international equities, uh, com then commodities, then fixed income, cash, and then currencies and last. Uh, no real changes from tally scores from uh, the last podcast, which was last week, a uh, week ago today. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, overall, I think the markets have been choppy a little bit, you could say, the last week. The last week, yeah. Uh, there's been some volatility, but, you know, I think overall... I think was it Monday or Tuesday this week we had one of the uh, steepest drops followed by another just kind of uh, pop back up afterwards so it's really been um, not necessarily a movement downwards overall trend it's just been uh, heavy to the downside one day heavy to the upside the other day so no real direction right now correct yeah exactly and then that's you know with the new administration and everything I think that's really to be expected right so a week ago we inaugurated a new president so markets and the economy and all the players are trying to figure out what all this means. We're seeing a flurry of executive orders. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But when we move on to the economy, we're seeing some positives and negatives, Chris. Yep. Uh, so um, as far as kind of negatives, uh, where we got the consumer spending number, uh, and that fell 0.2% in December. Uh, so people were spending a little bit less. Um, they cut back on big ticket items like appliances, cars. Uh, but on the flip side of that, they weren't spending as much. Uh, people were actually saving. Uh, so they boosted their savings rates by 13.7% in December, uh, bringing the savings rates to the highest level outside the pandemic. So the pandemic, obviously, in 2020, we saw some high savings rate. But outside that abnormality, this is the highest savings rates level since 1975. Yes. Uh, so, um, you know, what people aren't spending, they're kind of either putting it away for a rainy day, um, you know, and that, that could have some off, you know, some effects or impacts, mm -hmm. I guess you could say, uh, towards the end of 2021, if people have this, this uh, nest egg there, 
our savings they've been building up and they maybe they'll go buy that new car. Um, so maybe we'll see that help help out the economy in the later half of this year. Uh, we also got the unemployment uh, claims numbers that came out uh, for last week. They came in at 847. That was down from uh, 914 the week prior. Uh, and I think even 927 to start the year. So uh, that's slowly trending down. It looks like as it stands now, the trend is at peak the first uh, kind of week of January and it's been trending down the unemployment claim. So that's positive. Um, and then the last couple things, home prices increased uh, to 9.5% um, for the year ending in November. So annualized in November. And that's up from an annualized rate in October of 8.4%. So uh, over a 1% jump um, year over year uh, from October to November in house prices. So we're still, con we continue to see uh, strength in the housing market, which is positive. And, you know, I think this is, all this is kind of wrapped up in driving the consumer confidence, uh, which rose to 89.3 in January to 87.1 in December. So I think uh, overall people are feeling a little bit more optimistic. It's 2021 now, we're out of that 2020 year. Uh, people, I think, see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I think, you know, as we've spoke about, we're going to have maybe a little bit of a rough Q1, um, maybe a hopefully trending better, but still rough Q2. And then hopefully Q3, Q4, we start seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Well, and we're a week into a new administration. Uh, we're seeing a lot of the economies that were essentially closed and states that were closed are reopening. Um, certain governors had kept a very tight lockdown on their on mm -hmm. their states. Uh, so some people are, are arguing politics because there's a new administration in. I'll leave that to uh, you, the listener, to decide whether it's political or not. But bottom line is we're seeing the states open up. And uh, once people get back to work, kids back to, get back to school, and we live with the pandemic instead of living for it, we'll probably have a better economy. Yeah, I know in Chicago uh, last week, we may have mentioned this on the podcast even, uh, we now have 25% uh, capacity indoor dining, uh, mm -hmm. which we did not have a couple weeks ago. So uh, I know some people who have gone out and enjoyed that. So that will, you know, hope, help will help. I don't think it's going to return to the levels we saw pre-pandemic immediately, but it'll definitely help. And we'll see definitely a lot of people going out and, and enjoying it. Absolutely. Well, good. Well, we'll see where the economy goes. We've We've said... Economically, uh, this should be a better year than last year. Uh, we're hoping that that's the case. It turns out that although many things were bad in 2020, 2021, uh, 2020, the markets actually recovered. And if any investors were smart enough to carry technology in their portfolio, they did pretty well. And we ended up having a very good year financially at Four Star, and our clients did as well, uh, all things considered, in a very, very tough year for pretty much everything else. Mm -hmm. um, so hopefully the economy gets better in 2021 uh, as well, and then hopefully the markets react the same way and they're not, not too overvalued. So we're a week into the new administration. We've seen a flurry of executive orders, significantly more than any president uh, coming into office in the first week in American history. So um, there's a lot to unpack there. We're gonna just talk about the big thing we're worried about is tax and spending policy. That's really the big enchilada for what will happen to the economy. Uh, and there's one other factor I'll talk about, but let's talk about the tax and spending policy and how much debt we're adding. The more we overspend beyond our revenue, we add debt. How much debt can we handle? We're a $23 trillion economy. We're now $28 trillion in debt. We'll probably get to 30 pretty quickly after the new stimulus that the Biden administration is trying to bring on. So uh, apparently, a lot of folks think we can handle a lot of debt 
although we're becoming one of the largest debtor nations in the world, absolute, and also as a percentage of our economy. So we shouldn't be getting used to massive deficits. Uh, we've all heard the stories about the things that have happened in South America and Argentina and Brazil and different debtor nations where they end up printing money to pay down the debts. We want to make sure we don't get into hyperinflation and mm -hmm. overspending in that level. So hopefully we can come back from the brink. Clearly we need to spend, needed to spend some deficit, deficit money in a pandemic, but we got to get a control of it or else we could end up like Argentina. We're no different than them. We think we're smarter, we're exceptional, and we're Americans, but we can make some of the dumb mistakes too. Yeah, we're one of the few countries in the world that have a debt to GDP ratio over 100%, like you had said. At this point. At yeah. this point, yeah. And and I and I think, you know, it is important to say, you know, we are obviously a lot of this spending occurred during the pandemic. Um, so, but I think the key is, is post pandemic, um, you know, we're gonna have to ring in, I think, some of that debt. Because if we, if that becomes the new norm, uh, that's when I think it becomes a problem. Absolutely. So because the Fed in, in, uh, in 2020 agreed to infuse $7 trillion into the banks, the Trump administration did about $4 trillion in stimulus, the Biden administration is working on $2 trillion and maybe another trillion after that, we put, you know, we're putting or have put $13 trillion into the economy in some fashion. We're expecting some inflation. Um, many people have been out buying consumer goods, prices are going up, real estate prices are going up, stock prices are going up. Anyone tried to buy a car recently, there's no inventory and car prices are going up. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing a little bit of those effects right now. So hopefully we can minimize the effects of inflation. Um, we're also seeing government put into place a lot of programs now to favor certain groups, put their hand on the scale, and, and actually reducing some fairness in the system for their political ends, picking winners and losers and restricting economic outcomes. To the extent that they do this, it's not a positive for the economy. It certainly could be a positive for those groups. So the political people have to decide what's important there. Um, but you know, there are some effects of those things uh, on the economy. But the key in the tax policy is the federal, Biden administration wants to raise corporate tax rates from 21 to 28. We were at 35%, so Trump group brought it down to 21, they want to raise it. So um, not a positive proposal in our view. Um, you know, we think corporations uh, need to keep money flowing. The more we raise our taxes, the less money is going to flow into America. They're going to set up foreign subsidiaries. We want to keep low corporate tax rates and get more activity in America, which is why they lowered them in the first place. So hopefully they don't go too crazy with that. But we do like one idea they have. To, to have a minimum uh, corporate income tax. So <clears throat> we hear these stories of companies paying no taxes, wealthy individuals paying no taxes. Well, they have this thing called the alternative minimum tax, and they've always applied it to individuals, but they never applied it to companies. So we do like that idea. Uh, when you hear about Amazon and Washington Post and that whole financial complex and not paying taxes for a couple of years, it irritates a lot of American investors who pay big taxes every year. So by having a corporate alternative minimum tax, it seems more fair. And so um, we're in favor of that. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it smoothed it out. Um, and, and I think to give some perspective, I think um, the key that the U.S. is looking for from a corporate tax is we just we really need to be competitive on a global scale. Um, globally, it's about 23, 24% is the global roughly average corporate tax rate. So we're going to be higher than that. And, you know, that corporate corporations are going to look at that as an opportunity. So I think bringing it down, 28, like you said, isn't, it 
better is or lower is probably better, but 28 is still better than 34, which, you know, looking at this 10% yeah. higher is right. that's the reason we were seeing a lot of these corporate inversions. If you remember those, that was a hot word a couple of years ago. People were going to um, other countries. Ireland, yeah. you know, you had all these other countries. So uh, it'll be really interesting to see what happens there. I think they, like Brian said, there there's some policies that overall, you know, look, could could benefit. And there's some policies that, you know, um, aren't necessarily surprising, but, um, you know, could end up hurting it a little bit. Well, during the campaigns, President Biden talked in terms of raising taxes by about $4 trillion on personal tax rates, which, which would be very, very uh, damaging to the economy. So that we're not in favor of. Um, keeping tax rates low and keeping economic activity moving has shown in the past to actually bring more revenue into the coffers of the government when tax rates are lower because activity is higher. Um, so... Now, that's somewhat political. Uh, sometimes raising taxes has a counter effect where you ended up losing tax revenue that you thought you'd gain. Uh, but we, so far, we haven't heard anything from them on that subject. I think that even um, the folks who are looking to change all policies over to their policies realize that in a pandemic, in a, <clears throat> a rough economy, you know, kind of in a loose recession here, a lot of people out of work, it's probably not a great time to raise personal income taxes. So. Maybe they'll wait till at least the fall. We'll mm -hmm. see. We don't know anything yet. Yeah, that's um, true. So um, let's move on to what we see out there. And we've been avoiding talking about this subject and thinking we would try to be available to avoid the, discussing this. But I think we have no choice but to discuss it. And this is the latest speculation that's gone on in the markets all this week with GameStop and some of these other names. Uh, and, and basically, this is uh, additional discussion of the same theme we've talked about in the podcast before about the people versus the powerful. We talked about uh, how Brexit happened when no one thought it would happen, where the people in the UK rose up and decided we're going to leave the European Union and we're sick of what the political elites are doing to us and answering to Europe instead of answering to the UK. And then when the people rose up and against all odds elected a guy like Donald Trump, even though every poll said he couldn't possibly win. The people rose up. So now we're seeing it in in uh, the discussion of GameStop, and the GameStop GameStop stock has been running up dramatically in the last couple of days, and then real volatile. It's a big story to talk about. Um, many of these individual traders, like as a mob, were following trading sites like Reddit or or a Facebook page. And they realized that a number of hedge funds, realizing that GameStop was a difficult company, not doing very well, they were short the stock. And shorting a stock means you sell stock you don't own, that you borrowed, and then your closing transaction is to buy back when it goes lower. So if you sell it at 40 and you buy it back at 20, you've made $20, mm -hmm. right? So that's shorting stock. So the big hedge funds, the powerful guys were short the stock, and the individuals ran the stock up, and they started to squeeze the shorts. So if you're short and the stock goes up, every dollar it goes up, you lose money and it's infinite. It can go to the moon and you lose everything, mm -hmm. billions, and it's infinite. So they were, they were then buying back to cover their shorts and minimize their losses. And the stock ran up from 20, Chris, to 300 uh, three, 360, something. I think I've seen it. It may have gone higher than that, but... Over 400, yeah, 400 over 400 at one point. But yeah, I mean, and, and the why it's the squeeze part of that is not only do you have the pressure of the buyers there, but the guys that are trying to cover are buying too. So it's all just driving everything upwards and you get the spike almost. So 
considering all the speculation, Robinhood, the trading platform, decided we're going to get control of this. And their solution was to shut down all buying for opening transactions. And I say opening transactions, meaning when we buy stock, that's an opening transaction and it closes by us selling that stock whenever we do. But if you're a short seller and you sell, that's the opening transaction and the closing transaction is to buy. So that meant short sellers could still buy back, but none of the um, small traders were able to buy from certain, from certain groups. And so that restricted buying caused sellers to come in and the next day the stock collapsed by 44%. So then there was a sense that maybe the big hedge funds put short positions on again when the stock was at three and 400 a share only to see it go down 44% and cover their shorts when the buyers were restricted and they couldn't get in there. So did that happen? Well, we don't really know, but it's possible that happened. So if Robinhood colluded with the hedge funds to limit the buyers, let them get in there and short the stock only to see it collapse so they can cover, they lost billions in the short squeeze, could they have recapitalized all those hedge funds by doing a big short play when the when Robinhood restricted buyers, if they did that, that is the powerful versus the people for sure. And also, it, you know, it's going to be interesting. I mean, there's going to be a lot of uh, agencies looking into this. The SEC, I'm sure, will look into this because that's market manipulation to a degree as well. I mean, there's going to be a lot that's going to be said about this. A lot of senators have already come out about this um, for sure. Um, so. Uh, it's interesting to note today, um, it, so GameStop did drop yesterday, and up today it's up uh, almost 80% again. Today's uh, Friday. Right? Today's Friday, correct. Right. So, um, you know, it, it's it's interesting because you have this crowd, um, and, you know, you'd almost say kind of these, these rag this ragtag crowd out there, and uh, it's these people that have really nothing to lose, I don't think, and they're kind of taking it personally, as, as weird as that is to yeah. say. It's kind of their personal mission to take it to these hedge funds. So um, there's a lot of people behind this. And uh, one thing I think that's interesting to note, uh, the reason, um, and I think we might talk about this a little bit in a, in a second, but that you don't see this as far as impact on the general market is the reason that these the small group could do that is this is A, when they were shorting this, this stock was over, I think, 140% short. You know, mm-hmm. So it was actually... Yeah. People were shorting it with shares that weren't even in existence, essentially. They yeah, were, they didn't borrow the stock. They're called naked shorts. Exactly. They short stock they don't own, which should be illegal. Exactly. So th- this this position was a. I feel like you had almost like a pressure cooker scenario, and also this stock was just a low volume stock. I mean, before yeah. this week, no one really knew much about GameStop. Yeah, it's a damaged company. They're 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 missing the market. There's exactly the process of going bankrupt. Uh, AMC, another one they were trading was the theater group, and the theaters are basically bankrupt. Uh, and that stock was thinly traded and damaged. And BlackBerry had missed the market. Now, because of changes in technology, they're actually mm-hmm. a, a, going through a resurgence, the Toronto Canadian-based company. But uh, these are damaged names. Yeah, and so the volume, just like Brian said, was really low. So if you know you get a couple million people behind it that want to buy shares, and these these shares aren't expensive. We're not talking Amazon, a thousand bucks or something for a share. Uh, they start really driving that price up. It's low volume. There's not a big market for it. You can see that price really skyrocket. So um, yeah, I think it's important to note that you, you could this happen in an Apple or an Amazon. No, it couldn't. Not Probably with, not. You know, could maybe yeah. a very large institution have an impact like that? Yeah, even then it's minuscule. 
um, you know, that's just too much volume there. So uh, it's a very niche area that that this could occur in. And uh, but it's this, I feel like the market as a whole really has a microscope on this niche area. Well, and these hedge funds that lost billions do lots of business with with Robinhood. Some of the biggest hedge funds in the country give all their volume to Robinhood and they move in and out at lightning speed. And so uh, they, Robinhood and the trading platforms have a vested interest in keeping the hedge funds in business. So they mm -hmm. lost billions on this short squeeze. So did Robinhood collude with the hedge funds to recapitalize the hedge funds so they could stay in business and do trading with Robinhood? Uh, if that happened, that's probably not a good thing. Uh, and meanwhile, shutting down the small investor while they were doing it. Uh, then it was also revealed that Facebook shut down a trading group on the same day, using the excuse that the group violated policy of sexual expli sexually explicit material. So that seemed like a bit of a stretch, but maybe there was something there. So did Facebook unfairly use their power against the traders? Did Facebook talk to Robinhood? Did Facebook and the traders have a relationship? Um, the hedge fund traders, I should say. Um, boy, there's a lot of questions here. Yeah. And we don't know all the answers, but I know that with every media outlet in the country and, and uh, you know, AOC and every center, Ted Cruz and AOC agreed on this issue, and they're all going to be talking about it. So we're going to see investigations on this thing. Um, does this mean that the stock market is too high? There's rampant speculation. Does this mean that everything is over? The market's about ready to collapse. Let's talk about that. I don't think so. Um, I think it's a bit of an overreach. It just so happens that this caught the animation of all the media and lots of traders and the financial press. But in our world, where Chris and I operate every day, we see lots of speculative moves. Last summer it was Tesla. Uh, but every day there's some stock that collapses over some information or some other speculative move that we hear about. But that doesn't make the national press. That doesn't make the Washington politicians. But we see stuff like this kind of all the time. In, in, in more measured ways. And we, and we saw this, you know, we saw a similar thing play out, albeit I think it wasn't on, I, I would say, not as big a scale here, but we saw this play out in um, uh, May and um, June with air, airline stocks and Hertz was kind of the famous one back then that was Absolutely. going bankrupt. So, you know, is this, you know, it, it, this has been going on. There are certain stocks for sure in the market that, over, are, that are overvalued uh, probably, but I think the market as a whole, um, probably not. I mean, we're, we're having earnings. I feel like this is the small little corner of the market and it's kind of doing its weird thing, but the rest of the market as a whole is just kind of operating as normal. I mean, you have earnings coming out, everyone's, you know, mm -hmm. upgrading, downgrading, you have all that going on. So uh, I think you could almost have to think of this as kind of a, I would almost say like Bitcoin-esque, but uh, kind of this own speculative market kind of going off on the side. Yeah. So we'll see, we'll, we'll certainly learn a lot more about this later on. But based on the theme of the powerful acting badly, selfishly, or unfairly, uh, the old adage probably plays out that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So hopefully we can figure that out. We're about fairness in America, and we want to make sure that the markets are fair, and we can all play uh, the same way in the sandbox. And it seems to me the traders were playing fair. Now, they may have uh, colluded together in a legal way, and the short sellers were playing fairly. They just lost. You know, we'll see. We'll see how the you know it's not good when anyone loses, but um, you know if they lost fairly, they lost. You know that's how the world is. So, anyway, one one last subject here we want to talk about today is we've seen a lot of uh, the discussions of censorship, which started with with big tech censoring the president of the United States, now the conservative groups, and 
and you know they've got the 230 exemption which uh, avoids the avoids uh, keeps the companies from being sued uh, for things that are said but yet they're still censoring people so uh, a lot needs to be worked out there they're cutting folks off or they're even just suppressing their feeds so even though um, you may be on Facebook or you be on one of these sites you can still be suppressed where instead of you know 100 people seeing your post maybe only 10 people see it so they're able to uh, slow people down slow walk them so we've seen a lot of changes in technology and that needs to be worked out because it's unfair uh, especially with that exemption but now interestingly enough a news story in that world a little backyard brawls developed between Apple and Facebook Apple seems to be getting a little bit of a conscience here they told Facebook that they will no longer on Apple devices let Facebook control targeted ads so deep in the agreement of Facebook folks agree to be uh, sold bought and sold your your impressions and your ideas are closely monitored by Facebook and then they sell that information to companies and they make money in advertising so Facebook sells those ads and they want to manipulate folks so they can get them to buy things Apple is saying we no longer think that is fair we're not going to let Facebook do that on our devices so now they're using the power of their device to restrict their other big tech colleague Facebook and and it's kind of interesting uh, that that's happening it seems fair that Apple's trying to be fair but then do they should they have that kind of power either uh, and still have exemptions from the federal government so again a lot more a lot more things to be worked out there but uh, as long as uh, all these tech firms have an exemption in using their platform, uh, they, they should be answering somewhat to the public and it should be fair. Private companies have the right to make appropriate private decisions, as all companies do, but it seems like they've become somewhat of a public trust. And, and this was in the news, uh, I wouldn't say towards the end of the Trump administration, this was kind of being brought to light as well. So no surprise, I think it's just being brought to the forefront a little bit more, a little quicker now than maybe people were expecting. Um, but it's definitely going to be something that's going to be, uh, you know, kind of fought over, I guess you could say, in the, whether it's in the, you know, Congress and the courts or wherever, mm -hmm. uh, probably over the next year, maybe two years. Yeah. So we've unleashed incredible power in the hands of the few. And it's a, a testament to the fact that the technology firms have been hugely successful and hugely impactful. And that's really a great thing. Mm -hmm. But we've also given them such power that that maybe there needs to be that needs to be reined in. Mm -hmm. We've heard the stories of the robber barons and the railroads. The railroad syndicates in the 1800s, uh, the Clayton Antitrust Act, and all the other antitrust acts that were out there. So maybe we have an antitrust act coming for the uh, for the uh, technology firm. So we'll see. Mm -hmm. We'll see. So that's all we have for today, everybody. Thanks for being on the podcast. Stay tuned for Jeff Carter. Jeff writes the Points and Figures blog. He's a longtime trader, Chicago Board of Trade, board member of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. He's our special interview today. Uh, Jeff and I are friends. We connected back when we were both MBA students at University of Chicago in 2005-2006. Jeff went on with a group of his classmates to found the Hyde Park Angels. He invited me to join and 10 years later we left after 10 years of being angel investors. Jeff went on to found West Loop Ventures. Lots of startups, lots of deals. There's many, as many deals going on outside angel groups as there are in inside angel groups and Jeff always has a really interesting perspective on capital formation, business, startups, and the angel world. So we'll hear a little bit about that. 
And I would call this in interview, rather than a direct interview where I ask lots of questions, this is what I would call a stream of consciousness. Jeff has lots of t lots to say, and we're looking forward to hearing it. So um, stay tuned for that interview, and thank you for being on the Four Star Podcast today. Okay, welcome back, everybody. Uh, we're uh, again here on the Four Star Podcast, and today we're lucky enough to have a very special guest. Uh, he is the founder of the Hyde Park Angels and a very experienced uh, trader and also expert in the startup markets. Uh, the Hyde Park, founder of the Hyde Park Angels out of University of Chicago, uh, and he happens to be also a good friend of mine. I was one of the first angels that he recruited into the group. <laughs> Uh, Jeff Carter, uh, welcome to the Four Star Podcast. Thank you, Mr. Castle. All right, good, good to have you back. We Jeff's been a guest before in the podcast, so some of our listeners might remember that. And you know, you know, Jeff, I I wanted to see if we could do kind of a review. We're going through and different subjects in the world in the Four Star Podcast about real estate and restaurants and all mm -hmm. these things that happened after what a crazy yeah. year last. Wow. Uh, we and we had some great guests on. Uh, yeah. But you probably know more about the startup community and the angel round, early seed capital, that whole structure than anybody I know. And I'm very, very impressed with your thoughts. Uh, so, Jeff, after 2020, yeah, uh, tell our podcast listeners what's going on in the startup world. What happened last year and where, where, what does it look like this year? I saw a good joke. It said 2020 was, you know pretty bad and 2021 said hold my beer <laughs> <laughs> i mean really nice. not much has changed right yeah. um we got the vaccine which is hopeful yeah. um we have a change in political administrations which for some people is hopeful and some people isn't um i think the first thing that happened last year was the shock right so um you had this thing happen that was an ex, as uh, David Altick would say, was an exogenous shock to this economy that you couldn't plan for. Nobody could plan yeah. for. And it destroyed some businesses. Uh -huh. I mean, we had, I'm not going to talk about like particular startups, but we, we had uh, looked at every single startup we were invested in out of our fund. And um, we had to make a decision like, okay, if, if this is going to get bad, who are we going to do, try to do an inside round with to support because we believe in them and we believe in their business and who are we going to just cut loose? And we had to do that. Um, there was one startup where the founder was kind of panicked. Uh, lots of founders were panicked. Um, and, and I just sent them a letter and I said, or an email, I guess. I, I'm old enough to call it a letter um, and said, Hey, look at calm down. Let's figure this out. We believe in you. We will do an inside round to cover you to give you a little extra runway if you need it. And um, that company pivoted their business, figured it out and raised another round of capital at a three or four X where we put in um, from a very reputable firm. So that's great. Um, other companies that I'm angel invested in, like um, dabble.co, you know, that was in-person events 
uh, small groups, education run by small businesses. Well, they got decimated. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, I was in there. I was in there with you. Yeah. I mean, I'm never going to see a penny of that. I mean, whatever. I never counted on it anyway, because whenever you write a check to a startup, you should just think like you're right, flushing the money down the toilet anyway. But um, they were decimated and they, they couldn't do it. Um, yeah. I think startups, you know, it's pretty easy to see the ones that people made early bets on, let's say in, so it was 2020. So let's talk about where were people investing in 2013, 14, 15, 16. Um, people that made bets on telemedicine back then worked out fabulously. Mm-hmm. Um, people that made bets on logistical plays for last mile, getting shit from here to there. Sorry, I don't know if I can say that. Did well. Um, people that um, made bets on maybe telefinance or different payments uh, platforms. Yeah. Finance, um, you know, yeah. uh, did well. Um, so not everybody was bad. I think, I think that the, the short-term drop, what was it like a 35? 35 a? on the S&P, 39 on the NASDAQ. And yeah. But then it recovered like so fast, right? I mean, it did. Yeah. And the recovery was not because businesses were that great. The recovery was because the Federal Reserve stepped in and printed crap loads of money. I mean, and kept interest rates at zero. So, so I think, you know, there's a lot of people still hurting. And, you know, I'm of the opinion that a lot of this shutdown was political anyway, um, because, you know, Joe Biden's president and inaugurated and all of a sudden all kinds of states are opening up, but the virus is still with us. Um, They happen to be blue states and uh, well populated. So, you know, are these small businesses going to come back? You know, I I don't think so. A lot of them are going to die. I mean, a lot of these restaurants are just going to die. And so you're going to be stuck with Taco Bell, Applebee's. And um, I know it's uh, what Anderson Cooper's favorite, you know, Olive Garden. Um, So, you know, that that's kind of scary for the economy. Um, But then, you know, there's a lot of opportunities as, as we open up. So, um, I think there's some trends that have been underlying in the startup community that now are becoming, they're starting to come from behind the curtain a little bit. Um, I think the biggest of those is probably privacy. Um, people all of a sudden are uncomfortable with being, with having their data mined. So Google's business is, is you started out as a simple search business, expanded into everything. And their, their business is you, you give me your data. I make money off it and I give you free stuff. Um, Facebook's business is the same. Twitter's business is the same. Um, You know, so um, as the big tech people get more, more and more fascist and try to impute their views on everybody and really go against, you know, core American founding values, uh, free speech and competition and things like that. Um, people are looking for alternatives. So you see like gab.com. I signed up for a gab pro account. Um, I know other people that did and 
they had, I don't know, two and a half, four million signups in the last month. Mm -hmm. And then this all happened when Parler went down. So, um, you know, one of the hallmarks of America is competition, creative destruction. And, you know, a lot of government policy that's been in place put there by Republicans and Democrats, both um, kind of stops that. But I think what we've seen is in the tech community, a lot of that on steroids. So now do I want to fund a competitor to Facebook, you know, um, um, when their servers can be pulled out from under them for no apparent reason? Um, you know, the search engine DuckDuckGo was probably funded back in 2013. The people that were behind the funding of that are not conservatives. They are far left liberals, in my opinion, um, um, for sure, lefty liberals. Uh, and they invest for return, but they saw a trend in the market back in 2013, and they're, they happen to be right. Yeah. Um, I think it leads itself, you know, some of the trends that are, that are happening in the underlying world, when you see the Fed print money like it is with low interest rates, uh, they're not the only central bank, every central bank is. Um, that puts the world awash in cash. Um, it definitely changes risk preferences. So now um, I have a, you know, whatever percent gain in the S and P and I'm used to that. I, I want that. Not the historic Every year. 8%, right? Yeah. Right. Um, and so people are chasing riskier assets. I think um, money's easier. That being said, I think there's going to be, it's going to be an interesting year this year in corporate real estate or commercial real estate, because you know, it's just, it's, look what happened. Let's see what happens. Um, so I think yeah. there's going to be a lot of that changing hands. Um, and I think the fact that, you know, you want privacy, trust, security, and you want, you don't want to be under the thumb of sort of a tyrannical big government, you know, crypto becomes so, very interesting. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of projects going on in crypto that are super interesting outside of, let's say, just Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, we are invested in one company engaged in a project that you, you wouldn't even know that they use crypto, but they do. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons I love it. But Cover.ai um, can write insurance and, and put it on the blockchain. And so they can insure things that nobody else can insure. And when you think about risks in life, you know, you have life insurance, health insurance, blah, 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 blah. But maybe I want to insure um, a return on my gym shoes that I bought from Amazon. Or, you know, maybe I want to insure this over here. Or maybe I want income insurance because I'm an Uber driver. Or mm -hmm. maybe uh, I'm really worried. I'm an independent mm -hmm. gig worker. I'm a consultant. Am I, and I'm really worried about getting COVID. And I'm really worried about income loss. Well, if I go to the traditional insurance market, I can't get disability insurance. But with cover, you can. So that becomes really interesting. Um, uh, allowing companies to decide where the risks are in their business models and then ensure. Yeah. Um, I think that the other thing that we've seen with the, the money being so easy is valuations have really been pushed up. So um, back when we started Hyde Park Angels and you would sit there and listen to a pitch, Brian, you know, like um, yeah. Ycharts pitch. Um, I'm not afraid to say it now. Um, I think they raised 
at a two million valuation. Right. And they had a working product with customers. Mm -hmm. So if they were pitching today, eight million. Yeah, they could raise a lot more. No, I mean that's a valuation, right? Yeah. So that's a that's a four x increase in the valuation. Yeah, yeah. That's a lot. And so yeah. from an from an investing perspective, if I invest at less than an eight million dollar pre money in my seed round or you know the early round, um, mm -hmm. my expected internal rate of return is like forty percent roughly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, if I invest after 8 million, my expected internal rate of return goes down to 20. Right. So what you're seeing is pumped up valuations, people throwing more and more cash at it with right. lower expected rate of returns, which doesn't make sense. Right. Um, and so, and so I think the discipline is gone. I think for a lot of venture firms, you have to understand the, um, the venture model. So if I'm a, a fund manager and I go out to my LPs and I've got institutions, let's say big fund, and I raise a hundred, 200, 300, $400 million, $500 billion. I have five years to get that cash out the window. Well, COVID just put a crimp in my plans. So yes. I, I just, I just went, you know, several months without getting cash out the window. And Oh, by the way, most of these people are in Silicon Valley. And so you got to come to me because I'm job of the hut there with all the cash and I decide who I'm going to give it to. Um, and, um, I want you to be here because I don't want right. to get on a plane to go to a board meeting. So you're going to be here. And, um, what we've seen in rents prove it. If you look at San Francisco rents, Silicon Valley rents, they're down what 50, 60% because people yes. are getting the heck out of there. Cause it's such a horrible place to live. And, um, I was in a, there in January at, for a board meeting. And I told him, I said, if, if I don't have to come here again, I'm cool with it. It was horrible. I mean, it was absolutely, it was atrocious. And so people are leaving and capital is also leaving. So you've seen some venture firms just pick up sticks and leave to go to Texas, let's say. Texas or Florida. Florida. Yeah. Um, a, a good friend of mine, uh, Paul Martino, who is, he, he runs Bullpen Capital, they were one of the very first guys to have an office in downtown San Francisco, disbanded their office and went virtual. Wow. Virtual. Wow. Right. So, so the, the, the smaller firms that had the collegial relationships are able to do that. Now, bigger firms, are a little tougher, but they're still virtual. You know, they're yeah. not going to the office yet. Um, and so what we're seeing is capital also leaving uh, on investment. So if I'm in Pittsburgh, it's a lot easier to get an investment out of Silicon Valley in 2021 than it was in 2019. Yes. And um, so that's interesting. Uh, it will, that's an early thing that you got to watch. It will be interesting to see if capital gets democratized like that. I'm not sure it will, but it'll be interesting to see. Um, the, the other thing we're seeing is bigger rounds. So you know, a seed round used to be 500 to 750. Yep. Um, it's a million to a million and a half now. So double. Yes. Um, we had, we led a seed round in a company, um, called it a seed round because we, frankly, it was a seed round. Company had business, they were operating. Um, they didn't have a lot of revenue, whatever. Um, they got investment for a next round and mm -hmm. the investor politely asked us, 
could we change the name of your stock from preferred seed to preferred angel? And we were like, we don't care. And I'm, I was just curious. I'm like, why? And they go, well, the optics are kind of bad for us if, if we're investing in a series A at this lower valuation and not putting enough money to work, we really need to call it a seed round. Okay. I like, okay. I don't, I don't care. You know, yeah. I just don't care. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Political. And so, yeah. so, you know, money's money. Um, <clears throat> so all the metrics are, I mean, they've said this for the past few years, all the metrics around kind of financing are jumbled and just throw everything you knew from 10 years ago out the window as far as what yes. they call around and how much. But I think it's even more so now. So you've got sort of the people that have a spreadsheet and a PowerPoint, you know, you can invest in there. The people that have actually built a little something, but they're not launched yet is a pre-seed round. Um, the seed round can is all over the place. Series A's, you're talking about raising 10, 20, $30 million, mm -hmm. um, you know, at much higher valuations. Um, so it's all over the place. I think exits are coming. I think, um, well, we had a couple this year. You and I had a couple. I had, I had three. Um, I think that because cash is easy and, um, people are getting a little more strategic about building platforms, there are some exits. Um, these are companies that have cash flow, close to cash flow positive, mm -hmm. um, or, or are cash flow positive. Mm -hmm. And so um, they're additive to the business. These are not speculative exits. They're not aqua hires like you know you hear about. <clears throat> I think um, I think I think the exit opportunities will only increase. Um, the advent in the stock market of these SPACs, they call them, are helping companies go public easier, differently than they used to. <clears throat> I'm not sure how I feel about SPACs, if it's a sign of a bubble or not. I haven't thought that deeply about it, but you know, it's just a new a new way to go public. Um, yeah. Um, so private equities raised shit, shit loads of money. They got to do something with it, right? Yeah. Yes. So they're going to buy companies. So <laughs> Jeff, it sounds like, it sounds like the, you know, the year ended up kind of relatively normal with a lot of exits and a lot yeah. of funding and a lot of money out there. And yep. also the political environment, which has gotten very toxic with the election and then the aftermath and now all yep. the camp that's going to be directing seed round capital and other places too. I think so. I think, um, you know, the, the election from 2016 to 2020, the atmosphere was toxic. Now it's hyper toxic. It's even worse. Um, the, the, I am seeing all of a sudden with the advent of Biden coming into office, um, lots of funds raising, call it green energy, global warming, whatever you want to. So I haven't seen that since the Obama administration. In the Obama administration, every single one of those lost money. Yeah, um, I, I know one guy that made money. He's a Chicagoan. His name is Richard Sandor. He's a good friend of mine. And Richard's a great guy. He invented the bond contract. He's a PhD in finance. He's really super intelligent and a great entrepreneur. He invented the climate exchange, um, set it up in Europe and the US. I mm -hmm. bought it from him for 800 million and promptly wrote the whole thing down. 
<laughs> the only uh, guy that made money in that. So. Yeah, he made money. Um, he's got a new contract um, out there that's kind of interesting because, you know, in the financial crisis, the LIBOR proved that it was kind of a rigged market and people want to go away from the London interbank market. Most of our mortgages and a lot of loans are pegged to that. Yes. And he came up with a thing called a Maribor, which he's selling to the middle market of banks. Mm -hmm. um, and let's see if that can replace the LIBOR. It'll be very interesting. Um, yes. A lot going on in finance when it comes to that stuff. I think um, I'm invested in a company in Chicago that's close to launching. It will be the first physically settled where you have to actually take delivery of crypto uh, futures exchange. So right now, if you go to the Merck and you trade crypto, it settles in cash. A lot of people want the actual physical commodity. If we look at things like oil, natural gas, um, gold, um, the grains and cattle, they're settled in the physical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like wet barrels. If you buy an oil contract, you got to go down to Cushing and, and they deliver you barrels. Yeah. Right there. Um, and, uh, and nobody does that with crypto. They'll be the first. So that could be interesting. Um, I think the payment space is going to be very, very interesting. Uh, you just had a firm go public on a SPAC, but, um, you know, credit card fraud is, is real. It's a big deal. Huge. Uh, yep. And, um, as these hackers get more and more sophisticated, the payment space has to get more and more sophisticated. So I think there's that. I think when you see what happened to Parler, how Amazon, Facebook, Twitter, and the big and government basically colluded to put them out of business, um, that gives people a lot of pause. There's experiments in the crypto space called like Filecoin, which is distributed um, distributed cloud storage. It's not ready mm -hmm. for time yet, but mm -hmm. it's out there. Um, I'm a helium miner. Um, just for fun. It didn't cost me that much money. I'm probably not going to retire on it, but it's kind of fun. See what happens with that. Um, you're seeing more and more stuff in the crypto space. You had stable coins before, which, you know, love them or hate them. They're there. I don't know how well they work uh, because everything kind of goes back to the fiat dollar. Like what's Bitcoin worth? It's worth fiat dollars. You can't spend right. it. You can't play gold. Um, right. And um and there's, but there's a lot of stuff with um, decentralized finance going on, which is interesting. I think it's just interesting to watch. I, I think, um, you know, being a University of Chicago guy, if you listened in class, you know, you believe in free markets and that markets can provide solutions a lot better than centralized authority. And that if you can commoditize things and get into niches, you can create big businesses. And I think crypto can do that. So, you know, you talk about the unbanked and some of these sort of fundamental structural problems that people kind of scream and yell about all the time that they try to use big government programs to fix them. I think crypto is going to have a lot to say in, in fixing those problems. Yeah. <coughs> Pardon me. Well, that that's great, Jeff. Um, you know, you got some great, great insights and uh, we're all, you know, we're all the benefit for it. What, what do you think, what do you think uh, some of the big news is going to be this year? Is it <laughs> going to be all security? Is it going to be about the political becoming the investable? 
I don't I don't know. It's it's so volatile, the market. I mean, yesterday it was down, the Dow was down 600 points. I don't know what the NASDAQ yep. was down. And then the last time I looked, the NASDAQ is up 71 points today. I mean, to me, when markets do this, this big gyration, it signifies a bottom or a top um, generally. I don't know how much this GameStop stuff is putting <clears throat> into just yep. general markets. Um, I personally looked at that Wall Street Bets site and I had no problem with it. I love the fact that those guys put it out there and talk about it. Mm -hmm. We used to do that in the pit all the time. It was just in the pit. It wasn't a public forum. Um, StockTwits has been around forever. Um, mm -hmm. since at least 2009, my friend Howard started it, Howard Lindzen. So people talk there. People talk on Twitter. I don't know why this is any different. Yeah. It's just the fact that one Wall Street hedge fund didn't manage their risk correctly. They got cocky. They thought they were bigger than the market. The market took them out. Um, I, I think that's actually good. Uh, what I would like to see is more structural form on Wall Street. I don't know if you'll get it because I'm not sure that Congress is there. Um, remember, Wall Street was the biggest check to the Democratic Party to put them mm -hmm. in power. So um, if we go back to, you know, sort of the Stigler Institute at University of Chicago, the more sort of power a company has and spends on lobbying, they can influence regulation to help them and fend off competitors, regulatory capture. Yeah. And so um, there is a lot of that in the securities industry um, and in the futures industry, frankly, in any industry, any big industry, ag, there's just not enough competition. Um, so we'll have to see how that comes out. But mm -hmm. uh, I think it's endemic of a lot of other things going on in our society where sort of the elite entrenched, you know, prima donnas up here are dictating to sort of the, the great unwashed. I can't remember who, which author called them that. Yeah. Um, like me. And uh, we're kind of saying, hey, screw you. This is a free country. I don't have a fair shake. Um, and I'm going to get you. And they do. And, yeah. You know, they come back. So, so we're uh, seeing that again, like, like Brexit and, uh, and even the election of Trump were the regular folks. You bet. In. Yep. Yep. You bet. And it's not, so it's not just, I don't think GameStop is just about GameStop. I think it's about a lot of things. And, you know, we're in a very volatile environment where if, if things and language don't change, um, things could get uglier than they were that last summer. Um, and, and that's not necessarily good for society in yeah. the short term. Um, but, you know, I know people on the left and right that want to want a civil war like yesterday. So um, we'll see, well, maybe, we're, we'll maybe see. it's 2020, but it's really, you know, 1850. Yeah. You know, well, it, that's interesting. Uh, there's so many uh, things happening in the world right now. And, uh, you know, we'll see how it all shakes out. Jeff, thanks for your thanks for your insights. I think we'll leave yeah. it there today. Um, Great. So, uh, again, again, everybody, Jeff, Jeff Carter has been our guest here on the Four Star Podcast. What was that, Jeff? He said, nice to see you in Chicago. Enjoy the weather. Yes, right. Exactly. <laughs> not too bad. It's not too bad right now, but uh, uh, I'll see you. Jeff's bet. Jeff has moved to Las Vegas. So good luck out there, Jeff. Yeah. And, 
uh, and also uh, to all our podcast listeners, just as by way of reminder, you know, Four Star does have a, a solid group of very professional financial advisors. So if you're interested in talking to one of our financial advisors and all the work that we do in the podcast, all the models and, and investments we discuss, they're all available through Four Star. So uh, talk to us when you have an opportunity and um, have your friends join on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, um, uh, Stitcher, and all the other services, iHeartRadio, uh, and sign on. And uh, thank you all for being with us today again. Thank you, Jeff, for being with us on the Four Star Podcast. And that'll be it until our next episode.